Enjoy the bishop last week. This guy's so great. He's a good friend of mine. I said, Bishop, when you get up there, I said, I, I really just, if you could just preach the introduction to one of your sermons, I'd probably do it. Uh, or just, just start with in closing, okay? Because um, Bishop, he delivers a series every time he does a sermon. And, and, uh, but he's such a great communicator and has been a good friend of mine. But I was in Puerto Rico and we got to go to Old San Juan. And as you're walking around in, in a you know, a different country, even though Puerto Rico's, you know, a, a territory, it's, you just know that you're different, right? The culture is a little bit different. You stand out, and you're different. And the, the Apostle Peter, when he pinned uh, his book to the believers that were scattered abroad, he, he called them out, and he said, listen, he said, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. These foreigners were scattered throughout the, the uh, empire of Rome. And then he says these words, he, says, he said, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Like you're going through it right now, you're, you're experiencing persecution, you're suffering, you've had to leave the land of familiar, you've had to flee for your life. Some of you have lost your businesses and left longtime acquaintances. But he's like, listen, God knew you before you were even born, he chose you long ago. He says that the Spirit has made you holy, and as a result, you, o- you obeyed him. And then because they obeyed him, they stood out in the culture that they were living in, wherever they were living. And he says these words. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Because they needed it. But he wanted them to know that God knew their situation, that God knew them. God knows your situation. He, he knows you, and He's chosen you long ago, long before you stepped foot on planet Earth. And we ask this question a lot of times, like, especially if you're raising kids, like, why are we so different? You know, our kids come at us, and if they haven't come at you, they, they probably should come at you and say, nobody raises kids like you guys do. Any of you parents ever hear that? line come from your kids, or you've been at your workplace and you felt like you're the only Christian on the job, the only person that works for a billion dollar company, you're the only believer, or if you're a high school student or middle school student, you feel like you're the only Christian that goes to your, your school and you can feel like a foreigner uh, in, a, in a place where you're not familiar with everything and you're, you live differently. and and. You just don't do things the way everyone does things. If you're, a, if you're a single person, you're like, am I the only one on planet Earth that's maintaining sexual boundaries as prescribed in the Bible? You feel like a foreigner. And if you are a business owner, you know how other business owners operate, but you operate differently because you're called to a higher standard and that costs your bottom line sometimes and you feel like a foreigner in a distant land. And even for some of us, we're the only one in our family that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, and our family thinks that we're a, we're a Jesus freak. And Peter says to these people that are scattered abroad that are facing immense persecution more than what we're facing, he says to them, be strong in your faith. Remember 
that your family of believers, because we are a family, talking about them scattered all over the world, they're going through the same kind of suffering as you are. What you're processing is nothing new. The believers in the New Testament, they process through what you're going through right now. And then he says these words, provides them comfort and hope. And if you read the Bible, there's always this thread of hope that's in there. He says, after you have suffered a little while, he's going to restore you. And while you're going through it, he's going to support you and strengthen you. And he's going to place you on a firm foundation. He's saying to them, church, be strong. Don't you give in to the culture. Don't you lose your identity even though you're in a foreign land, feeling like you're in a foreign place, feeling like the way that you behave is foreign to the people that are around you. Don't you lose your identity. He's saying, listen, you're not alone. The church is going through this with you. And he's saying, listen, life has seasons. Now, we talked about this. In Ezra chapter 1, the Israelites are coming out of this 70-year period of exile, right? They, they were being judged for their behavior. Babylon had come in, come in, taken them over for 70 years. Jeremiah had prophesied that it would be a 70-year period back in Jeremiah chapter 29, and so it gives them a picture of, listen, God knows exactly what he's doing. And so the 70 years were coming to an end. But think about this. If you're one of the exiles, and you had been born in another country, and you had the opportunity to then go back to your own country, think about the decision that you would face. Because it says in the Bible that not every exile returned. But think about a 70-year time span, okay? We're in 2022, right? 70 years ago would have been what? None of you take math? 70 years ago, what year would it have been? 1952, okay? Somebody said 32, and if that's you, we need to take back your GED, okay? 1952, think about how different life was in the 1950s and how it is today. 1950s, everybody liked Ike. He was the president during that time. Queen Elizabeth just became queen in 1952, right? Mother Teresa, she opened up her Calcutta mission in 1952. Anne Frank's diary came out in 1952. Singing in the Rain premiered in 1952. Some of you saw that. Your cheating heart was topping the charts. If you haven't heard that tune, I suggest you listen to it. The first Corvette prototype came out in 1952, and this is my favorite thing about 1952. The first Mr. Potato Head was introduced. You might say Potato Head. Um, New house, a new house cost $9,000 on average in 1952. Now this is what's really going to get you. Gas, 20 cents a gallon in 1952. So when you think about the good old days, they actually were pretty good. But there's a lot that changes in 70 years. There are entire generations that were born separated from their homeland in the nation of Israel. And so what's the point of all that? When God calls us to something new, because he was calling the children of Israel to something new, you have to leave something old. 
You have to surrender what was to walk into what God is calling you to walk into, and the surrender of what was is not always easy to surrender, because a lot of times it's not always bad stuff. Imagine the thought of returning to their homeland, a homeland that they had only, they'd only heard about it from the older generation. Where are you going to live? Is the family house standing? Is the property still intact? What are you going to do for money? Because in 70 years, you probably had figured out how to make money. There were probably businesses and trades that were developed. If you were a tent maker in Babylon, would you just pick up and become a a tent maker back in the city of Jerusalem? Do they need tent makers back in the city of Jerusalem? What about if you're a homeowner and you've nested into your house and you love your neighbors? And you would have to leave them behind. Your kids are friends with their kids, and you have to tell your kids, hey, kids, we're leaving. Hey, where are we going to go? Oh, we're going to go back to the nation of Israel, back to where your your grandfather uh, was raised. Well, what's it like there? Well, it's pretty much in ruins. We're going to have a great house? Have no idea. How long is it going to take us to get there? Oh, about four months, 900 miles. It's going to be great. Imagine telling your six-year-old about that. Think about this, 70 years. Would you go? Would you leave the life that you had built? Because it wasn't terrible for every Jewish person that was leaving. And again, not every one of them would leave. They would would choose to stay in a land that was comfortable to them instead of go to the land that God had promised them. What if your family was leaving? Your best friends were staying behind. The Jewish people, they'd integrated into the culture of Babylon, and God was calling them out as He continually calls us out of the culture that culture tries to integrate us into. They had careers, homes, friendships, businesses. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the king. I mean, that's a pretty important position. You think about Daniel, he's a king's advisor. They would have to leave everything behind to pursue God's best for their life. And when God calls us to something new, we're always going to have to surrender something old. And some of that old is easy to surrender, but not all of that old is easy to surrender. Because obedience isn't always easy. And there is this struggle with uncertainty, right? If you want to go anywhere in life, you're going to struggle with uncertainty. And you struggle with that big question of, What if? What if I go? What's going to happen? What if I stay? And you kind of weigh the the sides of what if I go and what if I stay? What do I want? What does God want? And there is this wrestling match, and many of us feel torn because we think, hey, if I stay, this is what they were wrestling with. Very same thing we wrestle with when God calls us something bigger and better and higher and greater. If I stay, I'll be comfortable and wrestle with regret, I'll never be able to answer the question, what if? Because I played it safe. If I go, it's going to be risky. They're going to be unknowns. For some of you, the thought of change is just wrecking you right now. You struggle with change, and God is calling you to change, and it's been this wrestling match with you. But the Spirit of God is always calling us to higher and greater places, to gain access to new territory, to go into uncomfortable places and spaces. 
If I go, it's risky. I could lose everything. I came across this quote and I thought it was great. It's by Jim Rohn. And he says these words, every life form seems to strive to its maximum, except human beings. Think about that. Every life form seems to strive to its maximum except human beings. How tall will a tree grow? As tall as it possibly can. Human beings, on the other hand, have been given the dignity of choice. You can choose to be all, or you can choose to be less. And then he says, why not stretch up to the full measure of the challenge and see what all you can do? And that quote has kind of stuck with me as I was kind of preparing this message because I think for many of us, we're stuck in a space and the Holy Spirit is making us terribly uncomfortable, but yet what's in front of us in regards to the unknown is is scaring us a little bit and we're wrestling with, should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I grow? And the Holy Spirit is pressing us to move to a higher level. This is Ezra's dilemma. It says in Ezra chapter 7, verse number 1, many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was this man, and his name was Ezra. It goes further, it talks about the details of his life. It says that he was a scribe, that he's well-versed in the laws of Moses, and he came up to Jerusalem from Babylon. The king gave him, it says, everything that he asked for. Be careful what you ask for. The king gave him everything that he asked for. And then it says this phrase, and it's repeated often in the text in Ezra, it says, because the gracious hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. I don't know about you, but I want the gracious hand of the Lord upon everything that that I touch. And it was on Ezra's life, and we'll find out why in a minute, but it says the gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Now, when you read this section of Scripture, this this is a summary of his biography. It's this kind of overview, the aerial view of his life. But you don't get the details of his life. Oftentimes in Scripture, there is this summary of a person's life. But when you dig deeper, you find out this truth, that men and women of God are made in the drama and trauma of the details of life. They're made in the drama and trauma of the details of life. How many of you are familiar with drama and trauma? right? We all, we all have that in our life. We all have stories that we can share around the, the campfire, but the men and women of God are made in those times. I think about the story of, um, of Kurt Warner and uh, his wife Brenda. Now, if you get their story, you can do an overview and you go, Kurt Warner is a Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl champ, yada, yada. But you can kind of get the highlight by watching the movie American Underdog, which I would recommend. But when you look at their story, you've got this single woman who uh, was married previously. She's eight months pregnant. Her husband cheats on her. She has the baby. She's a single woman, two kids, and the husband is taking care of one of the children. He drops them. He lands on his head and becomes blind as a result of the accident. So now, she's raising a blind child, has another child, she's trying to make ends meet. Kurt Warner kind of comes into the scene. He's this quarterback from Iowa. He does well, but he doesn't do well enough. 
He gets, a look, he gets looked at from the pros, but they don't look deep enough, and he finds himself in this place of he always decided, he, he'd always figured he was going to be a professional quarterback. Now he didn't have that opportunity. He's in love with Brenda. They end up getting married. They're penniless broke for many years, trying to figure out how to make ends meet, trying to figure out what to do with their lives, trying to figure out how to put it all together. He wants to play in the NFL, and he finds himself stocking shelves for a good, a good few years that would be peak years for an NFL quarterback, but yet here he is stocking shelves. This is the drama and trauma of life. He finds himself playing uh, in, arena, in the arena football leagues, which is exactly where he didn't want to be for longer than he wanted to be there. But as I heard him talk about his story, he said, I wasn't prepared to be an NFL quarterback if I would have gone from college to being a quarterback in the NFL. That drama and trauma that took him from where he was to being the quarterback of the Rams, okay, made him into the man that he would become, the quarterback that he would become. And so as I was listening to him talk about that, I was going, man, that's so true in life. The stuff that we go through makes us ready for what God has in store for us next. And some of us are processing through some heavy-duty stuff right now, and we're pointing our finger at God. We're angry and upset. God is preparing you for what is next. Don't get angry with God. It takes Ezra four months to travel 900 miles to get to Jerusalem. The gracious hand of God was on him because, because, this is why, Ezra had determined to study and obey and then teach the law of God. He was like, I'm going to learn this book, and then I'm going to teach this book to others. I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to be an example of what God has called me to be. And so he's still struggling, though, with this, you know, uncertainty. The uncertainty of, if I, should I stay or should I go, that was, that was settled. He's making the trek. But along the way, there is this uncertainty of how. How do you get from Babylon to Jerusalem with the responsibilities that he had? If you read further in the book, you find out that the king gave him everything that he asked for, which we talked about, and more. There were treasures given given to Ezra to take back to Jerusalem. If you look in Ezra chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says that they weighed the treasure. 24 tons of silver. Think about this from a logistic standpoint. 24 tons of silver, 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to 1,000 coins, two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. So here's the thing. Ezra knows he's a soft target. He doesn't have an army to protect him. He doesn't have anything but a bunch of people and these treasures to take back to the nation of Israel. They've got millions and millions of dollars in gold and silver. And he said these words. He said, and this is really practical. He goes, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and to protect us from the enemies along the way because his faith mouth had spoken. He said, after all, We had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him, 
but his fierce anger rages against those who abandoned him. He's like, listen, I can't go back to the king and ask us for protection when I've already told him that God is our protection. So what am I going to do with that? He's got this logistical challenge. That's maybe our uncertainty today, the how. We leave the how in the hands of God, but we ask the question, how are we going to get there? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to do all that we can do. Do all that you can do. Work as if it depends on you, and then pray as if it depends on God. We're going to do all that, that we know that we can do. We're going to own our end of the deal. That's what, that's what Ezra does if you account what he does. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to trust God to do only what he can do. Because we need God involved in the journey. Ezra knew that he needed God's protection to get from Babylon to Jerusalem, facing circumstances, facing the struggle of leading people, facing the how-to. Listen, facing the how is not a new challenge. It's right here detailed in in the text. How do you find peace in life-changing seasons? Because it's a life-changing season for Ezra and the people. One is you trust God to make the decisions. Trust God, not, not the people making the decisions. Trust God throughout. The unknown can be absolutely terrifying. And many times it's terrifying because the decisions are outside of our control. For Ezra, what he was facing was outside of his control. He didn't know what was in front of him on that journey. And it felt like there, there wasn't really anything that he could potentially do, but there is something that you and I can do when we're facing situations that are outside of our control. We can trust God and not the people making the decisions. We can trust God that will take care of us and protect us, and we can choose to walk in peace, no matter who's making the decisions that impact our lives. Joseph did that. Joseph wasn't involved in any of the decisions that directly impacted his life. Like he wasn't sitting there going, hey, can you you sell me into slavery in Egypt? That would be awesome. Hey, can you accuse me of rape and throw me in prison? That would be great. I'll take that one. Hey, can you let me rot in prison for a few years? I'd love to do that. That'll build some character in my life. He wasn't in charge of any of those decisions, but he trusted God throughout. And we can have peace when other people are making decisions that impact us directly. And we can be faithful to do what God has called us to do. A lot of times we get paralyzed. Listen, there's always work to be done. And we can be doing what God has called us to do in challenging seasons. Challenging seasons always involve other people. We can't control what other people think or what other people are going to do, but we can control how we respond and how we react, and how we act in the midst of it all. We can stay faithful to what God has called us to do. And then third, we can be content with the outcome, no matter what the outcome is. For Joseph, not all the outcomes seemed to be positive at the time, but God was above human understanding, because human understanding is limited, and he was working things out. If we believe that God is good, if we believe that God is trustworthy, if we believe that God is faithful, we can trust Him with any outcome, no matter what, no matter what it is. 
We don't just trust God when things are good. A lot of people do that. They just trust God when things are good. We trust God when we don't understand. We trust God when life is hard. We trust God when we get a bad report. We trust God when things don't go our way. Peace isn't found in our circumstances. Peace is found in knowing God. God sees the difficulties of your circumstances and mine. He's never going to leave us in despair. He always leaves us better than he found us. Ezra 8, chapter 21. I gave the orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God, and we prayed that he would give us safe journey, protect us and our children in our goods. And it says in the text of Scripture that he heard our prayer. At times, the journey can seem lengthy and risky, and some of you are feeling the weight of your journey. You're feeling the weight of being between here and there. God is with you. It's been longer than four months. Feels like it's been longer than 900 miles, but God is always faithful. It says in Ezra chapter 8 that the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way, so we arrived safely in Jerusalem. As God got them there, God will get you and I there, wherever there is. Be strong. Don't give in. Don't lose your identity in Christ in a culture that calls you to immerse yourself in it, to assimilate into it. Don't lose your identity. You're not alone. Life has its seasons. God will take you through what you're going through. And I do believe this for you, for me, for the life of this church. Our best days are in front of us. Your best days are in front of you. So we honor God with the uncertainty. Be strong in your faith, is what Peter says. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of sufferings as you are. After you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. Father, right now I pray that you'd come into this room, come into that house where people are watching, be with those that are out on the lawn, And I pray right now that your abiding presence would be with us, that we would honor you in uncertain circumstances, that we would trust you as you're moving us from here to there, that that we would trust you when decisions are outside of our control and the task is way bigger than us, that we would, Father, honor you with trust and faithfulness. As you were with Ezra, you will be with us. And so I pray, dear Lord, that your people would be strong, that they would be courageous, and they would be, be, they would be reminded that they're part of a bigger family, and what they are processing is nothing new, and that you, dear Lord, will restore us and put us on a firm foundation. So, Father, may your hand be on your people, and may your people walk forward in strength and peace of mind, knowing that you are with us. In your name we pray, amen.